This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is brought to you by Calamero St Heliers. Remember, tomorrow at 2pm we're doing a meetup there. Come by and get some great food and talk stocks with me. That is 2pm at Calamero St Heliers, 59 Long Drive, St Heliers, Auckland. It is Saturday the 30th of September 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin and welcome to episode 68 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice and if you're looking for financial advice I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. I'm really sorry about the later than usual episode today. The truth, the truth is I completely forgot about doing it. I was um, over in Mount Roskill visiting a mate at his coffee shop. For, no, for those that aren't in Auckland, Mount Roskill is about a 30 minute drive from where I live in Mission Bay. And I, I went, holy cow, I haven't done the podcast. <laughs> so I sped back to the recording studio in Mission Bay, which also happens to be the same room that I sleep in. And that is why we're recording a little bit later. So Got a, a full episode ahead though. We'll, we'll start with Green Cross. They, they, they trade on the NZX under the ticker code GXH. They released their half year results for the 30th of September 2019. You'll know Green Cross even if you're not familiar with the parent company name. They are listed, they're the group that behind like Unichem and Life Pharmacy brands that you'll see basically everywhere in New Zealand. So they're essentially a pharmacy retailer. Um, I guess comparable companies in, in the United States would be Walgreens and, and companies like that. Um, boots in the UK, that sort of thing. Um, the revenue for the first half decreased two percent to two hundred and seventy-five million. The company is quite leveraged, and in my opinion, they they could do with having a little bit less debt. I think it will give them a little bit more operational flexibility, especially at the moment they're dealing with the big challenge of the spread of the Australian company Chemist Warehouse throughout the country. So. Chemist Warehouse, for those that don't know, they're coming into New Zealand, they're operating a discount model, the discount middle, a discount model with large store footprints. So you'll see them around the place. They're almost like they're massive stores and they're just discounting essentially. Um, and it is competing, and I've spoken to a couple of Green Cross owners, pharmacy owners, and that definitely has seen an impact from the chemist warehouse it's it's having it's like a lot of things at the moment there's a lot of disruption going on so this business model is coming in and disrupting it so you would like to see less less debt other parts of green cross are growing quite quite well though so it's a sort of a balancing thing so if you strip out the intangible assets for example green cross is actually operating on negative equity um so you you have to do some normalizations to their cash flow statement. And basically, they've produced around thirteen million in free cash flow from operate from cash and cash flow from operations and free cash of around nine million. So the stock is relatively cheap when you look at a market cap of around one hundred and sixty six million. And remind yourself, this is only the half year. They also pay a reasonably chunky dividend and declare a dividend of three and a half cents per share. So. The dividend yields probably around 6% now, and it was as high as 7% before. So a strong dividend that's before mutation credits as well. Next stock we'll talk about is, is Fisher & Paykel Healthcare. They're one of New Zealand's best companies. Um, I don't think there's too much debate about that. Um, they produce most of their stuff in New Zealand and sell it all offshore, so they contribute a, a, a lot to the New Zealand economy. Um, they trade on the NZX under the ticker at FPH, and I believe that's the ASX ticker as well. So they reported a net profit after tax of 121 million, which is a massive increase of 24%. Revenue has also increased 12% to 571 million, which is really impressive headline numbers, really. Um, they passed most of this additional profit onto shareholders, with the dividend being increased by 23%. 
So, you know, some, some pretty good stuff there. Gross margins were 67%, which is a small increase on the prior year. It's nice to see. You're not going to see massive leaps and bounds in, in gross margins now, considering how established they are. But these small incremental changes, increases and improvements will, will make a big difference over the long term. But where, where the business is, is really showing some operating leverage is on the, on the other expenses, which are growing much slower than, than revenue. Um, so operate, general and, and admin expenses, they decreased as a percentage of sales from 31.2 to 28.5%. So that's a significant, a significant change. So if they can keep growing, if, if their expenses grow slower, keeps on growing slower than the revenue, you're going to get operating leverage and small increases in, in, in gross profit margins will improve that as well. And that, that you know, 3% decrease in, in, in general and admin expenses as a percentage of sales is, is where the biggest increases flow through to on the bottom line. Um, the company makes quite heavy capital expenditures. I don't mi- not mind it so much in this instance. Um, most of that is just to facilitate future growth, um, and, and the company is is proven quite capable on de- on delivering on that future growth. So they're also achieving high returns on capital. So I think you want that growth reinvested in the company as capital expenditures, and and that's what they've been doing so far. You could also make an argument that they could be doing that with their dividend as well. Unlike Green Cross, which you spoke about before, whereas aside from paying back debt, you really want as much out of the company as possible. I think with Fisher and Paykel, you you really want the opposite. You want as much reinvested back into the company as possible. And this, in my view, could include the dividend, although management might argue that they do not need the money, so they might as well pay it out, which, of course, is a good argument. The valuation is hard. Um, let's face it, I'd love to buy a bucket load of Fisher & Paykel. If the price is right, I'd stick a, I'd stick a big chunk of my portfolio into it. I just have trouble with these prices. You can make the legitimate argument that I could have been saying that for the last few years, and that might continue to be the case. And then I've just, you know, it's obviously been the case in this big bull market, and it may continue to be that case. But I just think with a market cap of $12 billion, it's billion with a B. If we assume a projected net income of, of two hundred and fifty million, which seems about right, it's it's forty eight times earnings. Um, now, if they were to continue to grow these earnings at twenty five percent per year for a long period of time, forty eight times earnings right now will turn out to be cheap. Um, that is the thing, though, with, with companies that, that that's what happens. I mean, look. 48 times earnings, if you grow at 25% a year for a long period of time, they, they will turn out to be cheap. And when you when you do that, the, it, it's always going to turn out cheap. I mean, the classic example is Amazon. It's always been on a real high multiple. I mean, in fact, it's the lowest multiple it's ever traded at is, is probably at the moment. Um, but the company was able to maintain astonishing rates of growth for, for actually, which has now turned out to be multi-decades. And, and that's why the stock turned out to be cheap. The problem is that very few companies, a, a lot less than what people realise, are actually able to do that. And if you take Amazon as an example, there were thousands of online retailers attempting to grow, but there was only one Amazon when Amazon was first starting. And in, in the case of Fisher & Paykel, I think there is a pretty good chance that they'll be able to grow for a long period of time. Um, they certainly have a market opportunity that's pretty big. I, I would just like to pay a lot less for that. And and of course, if you pay less, then over time your returns will be higher. But all in all, it's a it's a great 
business, but maybe the, the price is just hard for me. And they, they just have to grow to, to, to justify their valuation. Um, you know, if, if you were looking at a much lower valuation, then the growth would would really be compounded. But just to justify the valuation, they need to grow a, a, a bucket load. And if to achieve like an exceptional return from here, they and, and, and the market can go haywire for a while, don't get me wrong. I mean, people can bid up the stock to whatever price they want. But to achieve an exceptional return, they actually need to grow by a lot more. So the valuation is just hard, that's all I'm saying. But I could turn out easily to be wrong about that. Um, and I, I might very well be wrong, and I know I might be wrong, but it, it it doesn't have that margin of safety in it, that's for sure. And, you know, hopefully they keep on going for a long time because I know a lot of people own the stock. Um, next company is Burger Fuel. They trade on the NZX under the ticker code BFG. Um, I'm surprised. I don't think I've ever, ever really talked about them before on the podcast, which I'm surprised about because I do like their burgers. Um they are a $25 million company by market cap. Um, they reported a net profit after tax of 550 k which is a, a, a decrease in the half year from 650 k in the prior reporting period. Um, so it's, it's a reasonably high valuation as well when you think about it. Um, $25 million for 550 k in a half a year. Revenue increased 2.7% to $11.3 million. Total store numbers decreased to 79 from 80. Same store sales decreased 1.4%. That's obviously a, a, a key metric. Um, it's sort of like a, you'd almost treat, even though they're a restaurant operator, you'd almost treat them like a, a retailer. The The main growth in sales is going to come from new stores, but same store sales numbers are, are what keeps the company afloat. And you don't want to have too many periods of same store sale decreases. So key metric that. The company said it's maintained its position on not using aggregated delivery services such as Uber Eats. They did, they devoted a whole section on this into Uber Eats in their update, so I'm going to talk about it, um, which is good on them, I say. Um, <laughs> I think I've spoken about Uber Eats in relation to restaurants and takeaways in the past. So the... And I'm going to pretty much read from the report here. The growth in top line sales that would come from using Uber Eats, now I'm rendering from the report, would be unlikely to add additional profit for the franchisees. If third party delivery channels were used, it has become clear that many restaurants that have engaged Uber Eats as third party sales and delivery channel have found the economics of the model to be largely unsustainable. And like I've said, I do understand that view. There is no point growing sales if you cannot make it sustainable and profitable growth. And if they were to turn on Uber Eats, and it's literally just like turning it on, they could implement it almost straight away, um, then the sales would virtually instantaneously jump. Um, but I think the the trouble with Uber Eats for a company like Burger Fuel is obviously they'll, they'll lose a big chunk of the sales, like 35% of the sales, so it's very hard to be profitable. Um, but the the trouble is I don't think it, it it doesn't really do much for your branding as well because I think, you know, when, when people sit down in their living room and, and order Uber Eats and they go order their Burger Fuel and Uber Eats, they're not in their minds, and I, I know abstractly they know they're ordering Burger Fuel, but in their minds... That order in Uber, if that makes sense. So they're not they're not ordering Burger Fuel because if Burger, if they're, they're ordering Uber and they've logged onto the Uber Eats app and if Burger Fuel's not there, they're going to order something else from Uber. So I can I, I I do see the 
the position of management there. Um, and it's one of those things you'll have, they'll have Uber Eats, if they decide to turn it off, then suddenly those sales just disappear. Um, so it, it's, it's debatable the value that it adds. Um, Aside from that, the company has a strong net cash position. I think they said they're five million in cash and no debt, and they're feeling quite positive about the next year. I do like the the product that the company spits out. Um, we have one quite lo- quite close to where I live, a, a burger fuel, um, and every so often I'll wander around and grab a burger. It just shows the impact of Uber Eats and other delivery aggregators are having on the industry. And at at the moment, the economics are not really working in that space, and they're not they're not working for either actually. Um, the, the restaurants that use Uber can struggle to make money. Um, they have to adjust their whole business model to make money from it. And Uber itself is struggling to make money. They're just literally seeking cash on fire at the moment. So the future in this space is going to be really interesting. Obviously, Uber itself is trying to get this the scalability there so they, they can make money. Um, and I think uh, there'll be like a, a tipping point with Uber where eventually they just cross the line and then they might make a lot of money. Um, it, and I think people will be prepared to give them money now to make up for that shortfall with the hope that they will make money in the future. So it's going to be quite interesting. Um, I find it hard to make predictions in the space, but one thing's for sure is that it's definitely affecting the economics of the industry, which is something, let's face it, 10, 20, name your period, time frame ago, you wouldn't have predicted that. You know, you'd see the... I guess the fast food and, and takeaway industries is one of the most reliable and sustainable industries out there. And, and it, it's funny what, what happens in the world that something like this can come along and, and just change the game. Anyway, moving along, Moa. They're, they're my favourite company to beat up on the podcast. Um, I'm sometimes maybe harsher on, on them than what I am others. And it's not, it's not that I'm being harsh, I'm just sort of reading the, the numbers and making my own sort of views on them. So I've got nothing against them personally. I, I like drinking their beer as much as I like eating Burger Fuels burgers. So they released their financial statements for the half year. They, it featured strong revenue growth. Um, but that is where the good times end, at least in my view. Um, oh, I'm being harsh, but the, the balance sheet looks a lot weaker now than what it did in March. Um, so they have 392 K in cash, um, I think compared to two and a half million in March. I have to double check that actually the number might not be right there. They also have a bank overdraft of one point four million, which they didn't have in March. Um, they have one point five million in borrowings that are current liabilities that they didn't have in March, and they have six point six million in debt as non-current liabilities. Um, so the the balance sheet certainly looks a lot weaker on the liability side than what it did in March. So Moa's argument is that they've added a lot to the assets side in terms of acquisitions and everything like that that will balance that out. Um, so they spent $11 million buying businesses, um, and that's what's gone with the asset side. So the net cash from operating activities was negative 800k, and they spent 330 more, 330k more on, cap, on CapEx. Um, so... The company urgently needs to turn that negative 800k in, into positive cash flow um, or, or else they'll have to take on more debt or raise equity. And that's that's my take on it anyway. So they, they 
they're going to need more cash from somewhere if they don't start generating generating positive cash flows. Um, you, you would hope that their diversification into hospitality in Auckland is going to do that. I said to someone the other day that they're sort of diversifying their way out of trouble from their beer business that is struggling to perform in a very competitive marketplace. So let's see what happens here. It'll be, it'll be really interesting. I, I have some moa in the fridge. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my bit. Uh, thanks very much for listening to, to to today's episode. Sorry, it's a a bit later than normal. I'm gonna go get some burger fuel, crack a mower, and and watch some cricket. Hope to see you tomorrow, two p.m. at Calamero Fifty Nine Long Drive in St Heliers. Find out more about the Stock Market Movers podcast by going to www.stockmarketmovers.co.nz. If you want to have any questions, send me a message on Facebook or email me at jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. We'll see you all again next week.